0: Ready, but a pop up just opened. You
1: you understand that in this context, unbelievably unprofessional is a deep compliment. Yeah.
0: (laughs) This is the best. Okay. We're good. I got it going. We're good. We're only 30 seconds in. It's already off the rails. That's Mm. how we like to run the show. So, welcome everybody to Nothing to Fear, a horror movie podcast that is very, very rambly and ramshackly, but a lot of fun. I'm your host, Billy Schultz. And I'm joined by two friends, one of whom is stuck in this gloomy cold weather with me and one who is bragging about how nice BC is this time of year and is wearing a Mega Han t-shirt, which is fantastic. How are you, Luke? You're wearing the t-shirt.
1: <laughs> you amazing. No, I'm great. I am very excited that Alex picked this movie because I feel like it would have been one that I would have... It would have been one of my maybes to pick, and now I can I can check it off my list, and it's not even my list, you know. That's great. It's not anybody's Alex, list. You're doing God's work. <laughs> Alex,
2: <laughs> interrupt Luke for God's sakes. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I picked it so Luke wouldn't have to, you know. Uh, Teamwork sacrifices. Yeah, I'm I'm okay. You know what? I'm glad that I got my car window fixed on Monday. It wouldn't roll up, so I had to go get that fixed. So. Oh, what no. good timing, because now we have snow. Yep, mm-hmm. fifth winter coming in strong in Canada. <laughs> yeah. It's May night, so, so we still have till the long weekend. There's, there's going to be a big, bigger storm. There's
0: always, yeah, in, in Calgary, if, if you're not from Calgary, you maybe don't know this, but listeners, it's always like, don't ever try to go camping, don't do anything outdoors until after the May long weekend, which is like the 24th this year. So we still got a good couple weeks of winter ahead of us. Even though I think this episode will come out when it's officially not Winter anymore, It doesn't matter. (laughs) We've talked about a movie that you picked, Alex, (laughs) which is your turn to pick this week. But we haven't said the title. So would you please enlighten me, Luke, and all the wonderful listener out there about (laughs) what we're watching today?
2: Well, if they listened to the two previous episodes ago, they would have known that I have picked Insidious Dose also known as Insidious 2 in English-speaking countries. It is the sequel to Insidious Uno, also known as Insidious 1 in English-speaking countries, that we did way back in episode 4. I believe we are now on episode 51. So there has been a period of nearly 47 47 (laughs) episodes of the storyline. And we are, you know, I think it's due that we find out what happens next to Josh and as Billy likes to put it, Luke Wilson, Josh Wilson, <laughs> Patrick <laughs> Owens, Sway- Swayze Wilson, anything but Patrick Wilson. I, think, I think it's time that we find out what happens to, to him. Yeah, I think so. Did I introduce that correctly?
0: It was great. It was wonderful. Although I do think that Insidious 1 was just called Insidious.
1: <laughs> well, in non-English speaking countries, is this movie called Enthusiast?
0: In indosius well,
1: trying... in yeah that actually makes more sense
0: indosius works a little bit in i was like trying to think of like insid to us in <laughs> i don't know doesn't matter we don't have to you know fast and the furious it <laughs>
1: too fast too insidious <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like it needs to be another i word so it's like too too inside i don't know too insouciant <laughs> Ah, like, yeah. Too oh, insouciant, be... too insidious. <laughs> if you don't take evil seriously, evil will take you seriously. <laughs> there we go.
0: Hollywood, are you
1: listening? Alright, so yes,
0: this is a, a sequel. We watched the first Insidious movie very long time ago. Go back and listen to it if you want. And I'm excited to find out what happens with the whole family and the haunting and... You know, getting a little bit more of what this the further is all about, because I believe at the very end, there's a dangling thread of Josh is now possessed by his like childhood demon who is like a scary old lady. And we're going to figure out what happens with that. The poster for this movie looks like we've got Renee holding her kids and there's like a creepy rocking chair with like a tiny figure on it. And like just the rocking chair in shadow. That's that's creepy. That's creepy. So. Did you know
2: rocking chairs weren't actually invented until curved wood was invented? Yes. Yes. Okay, well, just just wanted to make sure everyone was on the same page. <laughs> a little bit of a woodworking history lesson for you, if you will. Okay,
0: yeah. well, give us the rest of the history lesson. <laughs> well,
2: that's it. Like, you know, you know the no, mechanics of it. a rocking chair, you need to be able to rock, and you can't really rock on, like, a straight, like, 90-degree angle of a 2x4 or whatever. So, you know... In order to have that rocking motion you need to have a curvature in your wood, and in order to have a curvature in your wood, you need to have certain tools, or sandpaper, as you will. So rocking tools weren't <laughs> invented until those those came into human existence. But once they did, you know, babies have never it been the same. They've been rocked, they've been all the way down. Yeah. To anybody who's a woodworker listening out there, I do not vouch for Alex's words on this. Hey, hey I took this is this is I Alex's a couple statement. years of shop class. I know all about the different grits of sandpaper. And how there, yeah. to drill holes into wood?
1: Yeah, but like, would sandpaper have been the technology when rocking chairs came out? Wouldn't there have been other forms of sanding?
2: They might have used like rocks or like maybe some <laughs> kind of like animal hide?
1: Yeah, I can't say for sure.
2: i'm not I'm not a historian in in primitive technology tools, but I am a historian in different kinds of woodworking. Jesus of himself made cabinets
1: sure yeah yeah Jesus had a he could make you make you any spice rack you want Jesus Jesus had the best cabinets he had his minister for fishing his minister for sailing his minister for washing for baking I believe yeah. there were twelve of them and the the
2: accountant backstabbed him right
1: oh gosh thirty silver pieces was all it took to turn that cabinet That's into it. a counter
0: and in today's money. That would be one hundred million dollars.
1: So about Insidious two. <laughs> Thank I had you. Got a thought. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I had you. A thought about it, Luke. Yeah, this is
0: ours. maybe the first time you've put the podcast back on track. But <laughs> well, let's hear your thought about it.
1: <laughs> I thought I thought it'd be fun to shake it up a bit. I I love that we're doing a movie that is a sequel to a movie that we did so long ago, because I think it's going to be really really interesting. To hear our thoughts about a film that I'll say now isn't very different from the first one. So in the sense that like, I don't know, have either of you seen it before? I, I have. No? Okay. I have not. You, you've seen it before, Luke.
2: I am shocked.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I, I'll say this. All the best parts of Insidious are also in Insidious 2. So it's going to be a good movie mm-hmm. to watch and like enjoyable and scary. The story is, I think, even better in this one than the first one. but. Not like the scares and the things I don't think will be blown away with how much different it is from the first one. But I'm really curious to hear like what we think of kind of a similar template of a horror movie in episode four versus episode 51. Right. And like, mm, okay. Okay. What our palettes will be like, what we'll think if, and, and so like, I think even for us, it'll be really interesting after we record this episode to listen back to the episode on Insidious and hear what we thought about that movie. And then also at this mm. movie, because I don't think they're super different, even though they're both quite entertaining, I think.
0: So here's what I think is going to happen. This mm. is my prediction going in hot, hot prediction take that Josh's you know, be furthered he is he's taken <laughs> over by something and it turns out to be way worse than lipstick face demon and so rose and lipstick face demon or renee rather and lipstick face demon have to team up and fight the ultimate evil how close am i well you got the
1: first part right <laughs>
0: <laughs> look i'm thinking it's a sequel maybe okay maybe for like in the in the chapter maybe episode Three or episode four is when they like mm. the villain and the hero team up to fight like the other thing maybe that's like you know in the in the spin-offs. eventually all your your baddies become good guys and all your good guys become baddies so maybe that's what what we're in for i'm excited <laughs> i'm very excited to yeah, i'm excited i'm on silent though
2: i don't really yeah. know what to expect but i'm guessing it's more of an ensemble of demons kind of like the first one. Ooh because yeah. like in the first one lipstick face demon was the main evil but there was there was an ensemble there was like the little kid the family the old lady so i'm guessing it's just Henchman. gonna be yeah yeah more of the th- more of the further what was the old lady's name in the first one again elise elise yeah so you know spoiler spoilies for movie one but you know listen to episode four so she i assume she died because josh killed her as he was mm. possessed at the end of Insidious 1, so I don't know if she'll be in this one. Mm. So, well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I am, Yeah, I'm looking out. forward to it. it. It's a cool universe, and they were a lovable family. So
0: They were a lovable family. I hope we get to see more. Like, knowing this one, I'm going to be on the lookout for, like, corners of rooms and, like, shadowy areas mm. to see if there's, you know, because there was that big scare in Insidious 1 where the kid is just sort of standing facing the corner of, of a room and you don't notice it, so... I feel like we're primed for that, and I'll be on the lookout for that. And, yeah, there'll be probably yeah. some jumpy scares and some fake jump scares, and hopefully the, <laughs> the movie sells up. So do you know if this one is also done by James Wan, or is this a different director? Like, has it already branched off and someone else is doing it? Are you asking
2: remember. me or Luke? Because I happen to have the answer. It's still directed by James Wan, and it's still written by Lee Winnell. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. It There's there's definitely a continuity between like if memory serves not much time has passed in the universe from the first film to this one maybe like a little bit of time but obviously like because they were working with kids the kids are a little older but they're uh, one thing i like about this movie is that the kids are in it a lot more so
0: oh cool okay yeah i'm excited well let's get into it
1: cool all right let's do it let's do it
0: all right So just listeners, remember, we are going to be spoiling the movie when we come back after the trailer break. So that is your warning. Please don't get mad at us for spoiling the movie. That's kind of the whole idea about this podcast. And (laughs) also, as always, check out Does the Dog Die for triggers and frightful scenes that might be like too hard for people to watch or too hard for people to handle. And then, you know, just go in the rest of the episode with that knowledge that we may talk about those topics. But we'll be back in a second. It's trailer time. We're
2: <laughs>
1: gonna be at Grandma's house for a little bit. If I
2: Good night.
1: Okay. Okay. Nothing's
2: gonna bother us. Not anymore. We have our son back. We are a family again.
0: She want.
1: I heard voices in the hallway. Is there something wrong with daddy, mom?
0: place to get our son back and something evil followed me get out of my head! there's someone standing in front of you he's talking to you what's he saying he's got your baby he's got your baby
2: insidious he's chapter two baby. is a he's oh your... no we're not ready
0: he's right in. i thought he was right in i thought you was doing it i threw you off go for it go 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 i wasn't gonna say anything
2: because i feel like every time we start i'm the one that's distracting the the start of it so i was like i'm ready to just get in but here we are again all right insidious (laughs) chapter two is a 2013 american supernatural horror film directed by james wan the film is a sequel to 2010's insidious the second installment in the Insidious franchise. The film stars Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne, reprising their roles as Josh and Renee Lampert, a husband and wife who seek to uncover the secret that has left them dangerously connected to the spirit world. (laughs) Yeah. Dangerously connected? Wow. I guess that's true, yeah. This was a dangerous film. It's (laughs) It's not wrong. It
1: was very dangerous. (laughs) And, like, (laughs) the next day. Hey. (laughs) <laughs> yeah
0: well yeah i liked okay i'm gonna dive in there was there was parts of this movie that i liked and then there was a very large part of this movie that i absolutely did not like at all and we'll talk about that part later mm. but what was your overall impression of <laughs> of the film <laughs> y'all alex what, what was your what was your
2: take on insidious 2 i think like horror wise it's like it was, it was a good movie i was scared at certain parts i really liked how it connected to the first film like really mm-hmm. connected it was like almost like in chronological chronologically it was the next day but in terms of like all that you know lore and the background i thought it it was like a really cool way of blending these two movies and making it into this insidious cinematic universe as you will which
0: yeah you know the strange, icu strange <laughs> yeah
2: there are multiple ICUs in this movie. Huh. Yeah, and then, yeah, I, I think like we'll talk more about this later, but I think that whole time travel aspect was really neat. I feel like they they had already known what they were gonna do in this movie when they had written the first one. Like it feels mm-hmm. it feels really natural that way, so that's what I liked.
0: If it, it felt deliberate, yeah,
2: yeah. I thought the villainry aspect of this was not as good as the first Insidious, and. A lot of the time, it felt almost cartoonish, as to like haha, I'm the evil guy, and this is my monologue, and I'm going to talk to you like this." It, <laughs> it it took me out for sure, but yeah, I mean, like say
0: the villain, the villain would have gotten in trouble for talking like that, though. <laughs> yeah,
2: yes. like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, overall, I think overall, I think it was a good movie. I really liked how it connected with the first one, but I didn't like it as much yeah. as Insidious.
0: Okay, Luke. You, you've seen this one before. Yeah, this is like the right? third
1: third or fourth time I've seen it. And so this time I was trying to concentrate a little bit more on some of the more ethereal aspects of this film and the broader Insidious franchise, because I think all four movies are really good at what I notice is the cinematography is really cool in this movie. And it's, mm-hmm. it's quite subtle, but there's a lot of scenes early especially where Renee is starting to be feeling like she's still haunted or there's still a haunting going on and like the camera is like at like 12 degrees of an angle right it's like just slightly off the axis Mm -hmm. so you get this distorted but only a tiny bit feeling in a lot of those shots and it's like moving on a dolly it looks like it's moving on a dolly while it's tilted at a very slight degree and I know that that's like a really subtle thing but this movie was so cool at having these very 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 slightly off-centered shots that I think again it's incremental but it adds to your feeling of of being disconnected just a tiny little bit from a more realistic type of film movie which I think is really cool considering considering these movies are about an astral field right like something that's just kind of off that you can Mm. you can still kind of connect to but you can tell it's different and i thought that even the, the angle of the camera is really cool at doing that and then on that as well the house like just insidious does such a good job these these movies do such a good job of having a setting that you can see different angles in so like there's like open doorways down one hallway or open to another one so you like see the you see the woman but then you don't as the camera's moving across Mm -hmm. like a threshold and i just thought like very much like the very first house in the first insidious like this is a perfect horror house to be having these and then just like how all the sounds and the use of that piano and the strings the really off-putting strings like you've heard you've seen and you've heard all of these things in other horror movies before but not quite like this right like insidious figured out how to take the basic chords c g and d and make a brand new song that everyone loves you know like it's like taking the old and making something really authentic and original with it and i love that and then Mm -hmm. because i know we'll talk a lot about the story because it's contentious but (laughs) <laughs> the last thing I'll say is uh, this movie really like the color red is so in yes. the Insidious franchise. And I you can notice it a bit in the first one, but just like, wow, that is a powerful street light that makes that red window <laughs> shine like that. But even like the lights by the red gate and just red around the house, I thought the color red was used so yeah. well. Yeah, so I agree with Alex. I think this is this is a pretty good movie. Not quite as good as the first Insidious, but a very, very strong sequel. Way better than most horror sequels. And <laughs> it's not perfect. I think the story is probably the weakest part, but the horror elements are really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. And just just to go on your point about the, like, slightly tipped angle and making it feel really sort of off kilter this was actually going to be a point i brought up earlier as like a nitpick but kind of helps to throw you off center when we see so the movie opens up and it's actually 1986 and we get a vision of like young ellen and her like friend carl and they go to josh's house and like they're doing that whole like we're gonna put you under so that the lady in the black dress doesn't like bother you anymore and it really bumped me and I actually looked it up on my phone because I was like, I swear to God, it's old Elise's voice on this young actor <laughs> yeah. and was dubbing over and like, it just, it bumped me so hard and I looked it up. In fact, yes, it is. Ellen Burstyn recorded the the dialogue over top of it and that's why it looked so, like it looked like it was dubbed. Like it wasn't like
1: mismatched. I have to nitpick here. <laughs> it's not Ellen Burstyn.
0: It's Lyndon Shea lynn Shea. who's ellen burston oh ellen burston was from exorcist right okay sorry pardon me lynn Shea. <laughs> i'm good with actor names though. Yeah. So i never get those wrong <laughs> okay anyway sorry no yeah but having like old uh, like old lynn Shea do the like voiceover on this like very young like 20s something woman was just like what is how what is happening here and then Also in that starting scene with Carl, and I think both times, I couldn't find any evidence online while I was looking while this movie was gone. I was on my phone a lot during this movie. I will be (laughs) right up front with that. There's a lot of speculation that that actor had a fake beard on both times, and it looked real bad. Like, right away in the first season, I was like, that's a fake beard. That looks awful. And then the second one with his, like, goatee, I was like, that's also a fake beard, and it also doesn't look great. And it just, like pulled me out. So if we're wanting to be the most generous about it being like a movie about being off kilter and like not sort of grounded, then great job, Lee Winnell and James Wan. Great job.
1: (laughs) Carl just made me think of like a tired and kind of sad Colonel Sanders the whole movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's finger looking fine. I did like that it
2: was her voice like they actually used... Mm -hmm. What? What's her Lin name? She. Lin Shay. Linche. She not mm-hmm. she Lin Linche's <laughs> actual voice, because like her voice is like it's really recognizable, and it's like it it's, is it's pretty yeah. iconic, and like just the way she talks, and like she sounds like the very kind, I don't know, assistant principal that welcomes you into her office and hands a bowl of candies as as you talk to her <laughs> about your problems. So yeah, like, because it was her exact voice, I was thrown off a little bit at first, but then because it was also a flashback, I was like, whoa, well, like, like, I, I I enjoyed that they added that touch that they actually made it her voice with this dubbed over this younger, younger person.
0: Mm-hmm. If they had made Insidious two, I don't know, even two years later, I wonder if they would have had access to like that Marvel cinematic, like de-aging mm-hmm. technology and just had Lin be in it and just like de-aged her, because it was like 2013 was like just before that. I think they really did it in like 2014 or 2015 for the first time. But yeah, they just had to go with Lynn <laughs> <Lin> Shaye voice.
1: <laughs> it was weird. It, it was like, wait a minute, because like you're expecting the same actress, maybe just like to made like with well, makeup because, to look younger or something.
0: Yeah, because you hear her before you see her as yeah. well. And I think because, like, the shot that it, it comes in where it's, like, it's just, like, from behind, you see, you see. I think, Josh and Lorraine, and then it's just, like, her hair and her shoulder, and then you just hear this voice, and you're like, okay, so maybe they're just gonna not, like, have her face, because she's, you know, visibly older from what she would have looked like in 1986. But, yeah,
2: no, it was... I like I that they used a real human, though. It looks so much more authentic yeah. than you know in rogue one when they had <laughs> fake leia that looks so mm. bad like it yeah, looked was really bad, was bad. <laughs> the fake voice looked bad or sounded bad it's just like use a real person you can dub over it mm-hmm. like you can dub to a point where it seems authentic and it did seem authentic i, I think it just threw it off for a second because her voice is so recognizable yeah.
0: it, it w- yeah it was just like sitting Right in the, like, almost, almost all the way out of the Uncanny Valley, but still just like, I got like a foot hanging over the edge of the, you Mm -hmm. know, the valley wall. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's not how valleys work, but it doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also, this is an aside, but I've, I've, because I've had this little time here in BC, I've, I watched the Mandalorian for the first time. And I don't know if the two of you are (laughs) caught up all the way on the Mandalorian. Are you Alex? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, I thought the de aging—I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't—but the de aging at the end of The Mandalorian was probably better than certainly Rogue One. I thought. I don't know.
0: It was. It has gotten way
2: better.
1: Yeah. Well, the Rogue One de aging wasn't actually de aging. It was completely
2: like computer generated, like real. Like if we're talking actual de aging using the same actor, it would be like in oh, Captain Marvel, right? With right, Sam, right.
1: Sam Jackson. So, yeah, was the Mandalorian a different actor, and then just digitized on the face? It was, yeah, okay, yeah, well, that technology was be- is better now than it was five years ago. <laughs> I'll say, yeah, fair
2: <laughs> enough,
0: <laughs> yeah, back getting back to insidious, yes. I'll say, I don't think I missed any of the like hidden ghosty bits in this movie because I was just immediately like scanning behind, and anytime there's a shot where you know, there's a character and you can see most of a room behind them. Like it's like a kind of a wide shot. I'm like, all right, look in the doors, look in the corners of the ceiling, look on the floor, like look at a window. Like just, is there a drape? Is there a gauzy, you know, drape? Like I'm looking behind that thing. What's behind there? It's just like every single thing. You're like, okay, where's the ghost going to come? Cause it's, it's going to happen. And it does a couple of times, but it also like doesn't, I think it doesn't happen more times than it does. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I thought those those little uses of it were very in line with you know the first Insidious, and just like it was like okay, we're gonna make the same Insidious but a little bit more, and it kind of like it kind of follows the same plot structure Mm -hmm. as well. I would say,
1: yeah, you're right, and something that maybe someone might not like in a movie, but I think is done quite well in these is that they they really draw out the reveal. of something. So there'll be a bunch Mm. of times, there'll be several times where something might be happening. Then you get a shot of Renee's face. Then you get another shot of where Renee's looking and there's nothing there. And then you get another shot of Renee's face again, or Lorraine's face. And then you go again where they're looking and there's still nothing there, right? And they'll do that like four times, but at a slightly different angle. And so the tension is just there and there and there. And then finally, there's always a monster or always a villain, finally, but after a few shots. And I think that the way, especially with the way they put sound editing in during those times where there's a creak and then a drop mm-hmm. and then like an elongated silence and no talking. Like, I don't know. I just, that kind of stuff works for me in the in this film franchise, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And like, even even going off that like scare scene, there's a scene later on where Lorraine is in Dalton's bedroom and he's like all sleepy. And he's like, there's somebody standing behind you grandma. And we're like, Oh my God, there's a monster in this room and we're going to see it. And then we don't like, it moves on to a completely different scene. And then only later when Dalton is talking to Renee, he's like, so anyway, grandma came into my room and there was a lady standing behind me and then right. it cuts back to that scene. Yeah, yeah Like yeah. five minutes later. Or yeah. there's and then you see that there's like this this lady in this white, you know, arm length, floor mm-hmm. length dress or whatever, and you're just like, Oh, that was there the whole time, but we didn't see it. Oh my god. Like <laughs> Okay, who yeah, who is
2: good. the lady in the white dress? Is it the mom? Yeah, is it's it the, the mom. murderer, or yeah. is it no, it's, it's one the of the mom.
1: random okay, it is the it's... mom. And and one of the cool Michelle, s- I think was her name Yeah one of the cool storytelling elements of this is that because presumably most people who've seen Insidious 2 have seen the first Insidious and because this is the first villain quote unquote we see in this movie and we kind of can compare the the way that she looks to like the family from the first one or like maybe she's like one of these auxiliary mm-hmm. villains that's just around. She doesn't strike us necessarily. I don't, I remember the first time I watched it, she doesn't strike us as like the main villain. She's just kind of one of the creatures in the house or one of the projections in the house. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I would argue she's the main villain of the movie. And it's kind of presented in a not blase manner, but a kind of like, oh, here's another one of the spirits. I wonder what she wants. No, actually, she's like (laughs) terrible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and <real> and bad. <laughs> and there's a kind of smokescreen put on the bride in black character as the big bad, whereas I would I would argue mm-hmm. that the mum was the big bad actually, in, in this. which is, so
2: was was mum in the first one at all even like as like a lady in a white dress I can't recall because like bride in black was for sure in it. Yeah, Brighton
0: Black was. I feel like she might have been one of those just like auxiliary walking in the background where you just you've seen so many pale people in like pale clothing that Mm -hmm. they could have been like, yeah, she was there the whole time and you just didn't notice. Yeah. I would have no trouble believing that that was that was in there.
1: She looked exactly like the hordes of entities that had a more insidious agenda. (laughs) And I will say, I think the makeup of these characters is so good. Just how creepy they mm-hmm. look. I think they look so uniquely creepy from any other movie I've seen.
0: Yeah, they're very creepy. And I really like, I know I gave Patrick Wilson shit in the last movie for like being all standoffish and watching it and being like, oh, he's so weird and he's like so cold and he's like gaslighting her and <laughs> and not, you know, listening to his wife. And then the, the fact that he's possessed the... The Josh we see in the real world is possessed this whole time by the bright and black, and you know it gives a reason for his like weird, stilted acting. Like at the at the start, when he's talking about like, oh my god, Elise is dead. Oh no! And he's like, he's really like, I thought that was a really bad, you know, that's a really bad performance of grief. There's no wrong way to grieve, but there's like, <laughs> it was like, I don't buy that you're actually shocked in this, and I don't know who you're trying to fool, and. It's, you know, because he's not Josh. He's, yeah. you know, this other character who's inhabiting this body. And so, like, Patrick Wilson did a great job in this movie. He he has a perfect, like, smile with, like, murder eyes look that he can do, mm-hmm. which was just so creepy and so effective. And then, you know, again, to the makeup point, the fact that they made him look, like, older and more run down and, like, shittier the way the longer the movie went is just like, mm-hmm. okay, all right.
2: This is like a big, a big check in the the plus column for me, for this movie. Look, you know how one of your gripes in older movies is like the characters just don't talk like how real humans talk, and yeah. like they have answers to things right away. That's how I felt about Patrick Wilson playing Josh in this movie. Mm. Like, I think it was supposed, to, <laughs> like part of, partly it was probably done on purpose because it's not actually real Josh; it's Josh possessed by Bride and Black. But the one I'm thinking of is the one where i think the, the hauntings first start in the house and renee says something to him and he immediately replies like oh you must have just seen something like yeah like it's an instant reply and it's like mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. robotic and like like ai controlled like when you hear this word please respond this way immediately
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah and i think this was like the part of the stuff like i really didn't like i think there was there was definitely this kind of dialogue in the first one but the the second one whether it was done on purpose or not because he was possessed like was so like Mm -hmm. stood out to me so much it was just like this isn't how people talk and i'm not gonna let you get away with this because this movie (laughs) came out
1: in 2013
0: (laughs) yeah fair
1: but i think that there's a story like there's a plot element that could explain that whether you buy it or not where it's just like well it's actually parker crane talking and He's got tons of trauma and he has a vested interest in not being found out. So he's kind of Mm. clumsily sweeping this stuff under the rug as in like, let's move past this. Let's move on. Elise is dead. Nobody did it here. Nothing, nothing to see here. Move along. And um, now again, like how the director wanted that executed through, patrick wilson's performance maybe it wasn't exactly what was hoped for or maybe it was like a miscalculation or a or a missed execution but i am more willing to buy a unrealistic form of talking if it can be justified through the plot Mm. and i just i think in the older movies it it's a little less in line with the story but i i take your point nonetheless alex that i think there was there, there's definitely a few lo- times where Josh a la Parker is talking in this movie, and I'm like, uh, okay, everybody must know this. <laughs> not letting this. <laughs> you get away with this, Josh. <laughs> Everyone must know this isn't Josh. <laughs> this is like, like yeah. you couldn't s- be screaming, I'm not Josh, more than if you had it tattooed on your forehead. I'm not Josh, I'm Parker, bitch. <laughs> it's like, hello, my name is Park Josh.
0: Yeah. Damn it
1: damn it. i
0: I thought it was kind of a good red herring almost. maybe and, and so maybe this was just me trying to figure out the movie as I go along, which I tend to do. But I was like, okay, so there's all these other monsters and ghosts in this house, but the the bright and black character who's inside Josh has a vested interest in staying inside Josh and possessing him. And I kind of got the, I kind of thought that they were going in a direction where, you're right. he was uh, he was trying to stay inside Josh the whole time. And it behooved him to just be like, Well, there's no such thing as ghosts anymore. We're we're all it's all fine, yeah. it's all good. And then I also kind of thought that it was gonna go on the line of Josh in like our world, Josh, the one who's possessed, was, like, trying to be, an, like, getting annoyed at the other ghosts because they're, like, still haunting. And it's like, if they don't stop haunting, she's going to ask more questions and then I'm going to, like, <laughs> yeah, get yeah, yeah. exercised right out of here. And, exactly. like, can everybody just be chill for a minute and let me, like, do my possession? Like, go like go somewhere else. I thought that was where I was going to go. It did end up not going that way, but that would have been funny.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think at the end of the day, it just added to that, like, cartoonish villain feeling that I got from Parker was, like... Ha! Huh, there's nothing to see here. I'm Josh, by the way. Let's uh, let's pretend nothing happened. It's me, team. normal Josh. I'm normal Josh. I love to be alive because
0: I'm a living person who doesn't know what being dead is like at all. Look hey, at me, kids. Do you like want normal. to go get
2: iced cream? <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wonder if they had the plot of Insidious Two planned out by the first one because they kind of painted themselves into a corner for the audience by making it very clear that at the end of the first insidious josh wasn't josh so you can't Mm -hmm. you can't like that's a kind of a variable made into a constant for us the audience going into the second movie so even though they work really hard to make sure the other characters don't know it's not josh which i can't believe they managed to pull off in any sort of (laughs) comprehensible way but i thought they did a decent job of that us as the audience we're sitting there we're like okay that's not josh we know that already yeah that's not josh so they kind of have to write a movie where we still are wondering what not josh is doing because we know it's not josh like the mystery of this movie is not who is josh josh or not the mystery is well
0: where is josh where is is josh Josh and who is josh what what When is, is
1: josh what is the motive what, what is a motivation of one of these entities that takes over a real body, right? And that's something they didn't mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. explore in the first movie because the first movie was just it was as simple as it's evil and it wants to be alive.
2: yeah, well that, that that's yeah. the motivation. It wants to have a body to possess. I think that's like wasn't that the motivation for every?
1: Yeah, but this movie we get a backstory, right? Well, and Hold the the on. demon the, backstory. All right, let's go.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. The further the way the way the universe works, as far as I understand, the further is a place where everybody goes when they die. There's all the dead spirits, plus there's demons, plus there's your lipstick face demons, and we'll, we didn't we didn't see we didn't get a check in from lipstick face demon in this movie, but <laughs> in the first movie it seemed like yeah there's these dead these dead spirits that haven't moved on and that want to get back into the living body, and that's like level one scary but -hmm. level two scary is there's also demons who are getting in there so we kind of like just visit with the like the level one baddies who want to just like they just want to be living again and they even mention that you know the reason why the bride in black whose name is parker crane we're gonna get into it later (laughs) wants to possess josh in 1986 too is because he wants to be a child again and didn't get to have this like childhood it's messy and like Mm -hmm. so that is kind of the explanation about why these ghosts are like trying to possess people but then the dead spirit can't inhabit a living body and then we see it like physically aging josh throughout the movie
1: i think that because this movie is so smooth and well produced and and well made from a technical point of view it kind of overshadows some of the what i think is actually kind of tricky storytelling devices that they had that they kind of forced themselves into from the first movie
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because if you were pitching insidious 2 it'd be it'd be like kind of like you'd have i think they had to be a little creative because at the end of insidious they're like well josh is josh is now the bride in black in in reality what kind of movie could you possibly write where he doesn't just kill everybody in the house in the first five minutes, right? Like what? Like that would be the lot. Like if I had no idea of Insidious two, and at the end of Insidious, like well they're all dead, mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. So he's just gonna go on a rampage. So you you have to write in something like a backstory for the Bride in Black, aka Parker, so that he is not gonna immediately kill everybody in the house, so that we can have a movie, right? And yeah. then they wrote what they did, which is <laughs> what they wrote for that backstory. And I think, I, I, I really think they could have done it so many different ways. Well, they could have. And I think, I think if this movie was made even two years later, it wouldn't have been written this way. You know, like I think, yeah. I think it was actually like weirdly because it's only eight years ago a movie of of the era because it's just I think it's a more hot button issue now. It's a late two kind of thousands, early twenty tens movie. It's yeah. not a twenty tens movie, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good point.
2: Well, okay, let's. Okay, then
0: you know what? Let's talk about. We're, that we're dancing around it. We, we have to talk about it. We're, we're we're gonna just talk in. So the the way that the, the bride in black works is, the bride in black is 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 not a lady like we thought. The bride in black was a serial killer, a male a male serial killer who dresses up as a woman to kill his victims. And that, like for me, obviously, Mm -hmm. trans girl here, that was like a huge red flag because there's so much portrayal of, you know, serial murderers. And there's so many examples in movies where they're like, the killer is a, a man wearing a dress and that like, because that is the type of gender non-conforming content we see in movies that is what like a lot of people form their opinions on and it stokes the like problems with you know these like bathroom bills that are popping up all over the place because they're like they're afraid that all trans women are just like men wearing dresses who want to like sneak into the bathrooms we aren't that's not how it's not what's happening it's net zero percent chance that's happening and it just like It really like as soon as they saw we said parker in the hospital in like a flashback and they're like he was admitted here because he tried to castrate himself i was like oh my fucking god they're gonna do some like weird gender fuckery and it's gonna annoy me and it did it annoyed me and i like for the whole last act of the movie i was just like no i'm mad (laughs) they didn't have to make it like uh being being trans is not a mental illness and the narrative sort of made it seem that like Oh, he was, like, pressured by his mom. So the character's not trans. The character is is a cisgender male whose mom made him dress up as a girl and call himself Marilyn. And so that is interesting because it's like you're causing somebody to live a truth that's not theirs and mm-hmm. it's going to mess them up. But the narrative of, like, being forced to be someone you're not makes you a serial killer is just like, oh, it's yucky. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Big trigger warning. Everybody <laughs> Post dated <a> trigger warning. <laughs> like it just yeah i I don't think this movie would be made in 2021 or even like 2018 i don't think it would get across the desk because it's such like a it's just yucky just i'm just i can't think about it clearly because it's such it's such a topic that's close to my heart and it's just like they could have just made it be like mrs havisham old lady ghost wants to like just inhabit whoever like they didn't have to make it be like well he wants to inhabit a boy because he didn't get to be a boy when he was growing up and it's just like
1: guys well (laughs) come on it's like (laughs) it's weirdly way deeper than it needs to be (laughs) it's way deeper than it needs to be i i'll first of all anyone who thinks that Gender nonconformity correlates in any way with serial killing is a fucking idiot. So (laughs) that don't worry about that one. Like I'll take care of that one, Billy, for you.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad you're gonna take care of
1: it. Thanks. Like that. (laughs) Anyone who could watch this movie, this Insidious Two, and look at Parker Crane and think, "Oh yeah, there's a real example of what happens if men can wear dresses," is just a moron. Like that, that person is either a bigot or a moron. Take your pick. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. And the the thing is though, like, this is one example in a lot of, in a lot of other things. And I think listeners who haven't, wa- who haven't watched this on Netflix, watch Disclosure on, on, watch Disclosure on Netflix. It's about 80 minutes long and it just talks about like trans representation in the media
2: right. and
0: how it is, you know, the narrative of like the man in a dress is like psycho, The crying game. Like, there's just, like, there's just, like, case after case after case of, like, negative representation of trans people and gender nonconformity that it gets, like, championed by these people who, like, are transphobic and hate, you know, people who are gender nonconforming and... There's not, like, there's not, like, another side of the coin. Like, we're starting to get a little bit now where we're seeing positive stories of trans people living, like, their best lives and living their truth, and it's being made by people in the trans community and the gender non-conforming community, and that's great. It's just, like, the scales are so massively balanced one way where they're, like... Like, think about Ace Ventura. That movie, I loved that movie. I can never watch Ace Ventura 1 again because the character is this trans woman, and, like you know at the end they bend her over and show that she hasn't had bottom surgery she doesn't want or she's tucking or whatever and everyone's like oh my god barf 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 and it's just like this is gross
1: it's like so many other civil rights and human rights issues throughout media in history i guess kind of right like (laughs) yeah you you watch some of the cartoons made in the 40s and you want to puke right like it's just it's horrible (laughs) the racism that you see in in all of these old forms of media. And I guess the hope, and I, it sounds like it is trending this way, which is great, is that it, it starts to be noticed as a negative thing and then portrayed better as we shed more light on these issues for people, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, like Insidious 2 is probably the last era of film where this kind of film would be made. You know?
0: I would love to... I I desperately love to hope so. (laughs) I hope so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, like obviously this thing is much closer to you, Billy, than to me or Alex. I, I, I would, I would say that the people who wrote this movie, I, I didn't think I didn't get any sort of like intentional negative impositions on their part. Yeah. But still kind of tone deaf maybe is what you're saying
0: super tone deaf and it's like it's like intent versus impact right like yeah they didn't intend to make it be like you know the the underlying theme of like gender non-conformity is bad but it impacts you that way and it's kind of like you know a, a, after some point your intentions be they good or be they ill, like you need to to think about how they're going to impact the people that it's talking about, because yeah, I would bet that there's probably not a lot of like trans and gender non-conforming people on that writing team. They didn't have right. somebody to write. And like, again, you know, you even like 20 years ago when we're starting to get like gay representation in movies, it's written by a lot of straight people and they don't have the stories. Right. So this was like written by somebody who doesn't have that experience And I think you're right, they made it way too complicated for why. It was like, why did Parker Crane have to be a boy who was forced to dress like a girl by his evil, abusive mother? Why couldn't we just have had Marilyn be abused by her, you know, mother? And she grew up to be a serial killer. Like, you know, like, you're right. They made it like a weird extra layer where I was like, it didn't have to happen like that. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to be honest, most of my thoughts of the villainy are about the mom and not Parker, because I think he was a bit <laughs> one-dimensional. But I want to yeah. let Alex chime in here, too, on what, <laughs> yeah, go ahead what you think, Alex. Yeah, I mean, like, for
2: for something like this, obviously, I'm one to listen, and I want to listen first before even considering talking. So thank you for letting me listen. Yeah, I found it, like, not, like, yeah, it, was, it wasn't it was great. I, I do, I do kind of want to maybe ask you this question, Billy, so mm-hmm. not to, pr- like, not to defend this movie in any way or to praise it in any way, but, like, so in this movie we're, we're presented with Parker, who is a cisgendered male whose mother is forcing him to, you know, wear dresses and to have a girl's name, and we see you know how damaging it can be not like just da- damaging in general not damaging to the point where parker becomes a serial killer but like obviously yep. damaging and and very detrimental to his childhood so mm-hmm. do you do you find this as maybe parallels to trans people growing up like let's say a cisgendered boy is growing up mm. and and feels like and knows that she is a girl but the world and parents okay. and all that are like, no, you're a boy, you're a boy, you're a boy. And it can be as equally damaging. You know, do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I'll just do a little bit of corrections,
0: a little bit of a corrections corner okay. here. So <laughs> if, you know, a trans girl grows up and transitions, then at no point in time was she a cisgender boy, right? So if
2: right, okay. Parker
0: Crane had been trans, then even though she was like a male at birth, and grew up, like, being sort of socialized as a male, that doesn't mean that somebody started out as cisgender and became transgender. I was not born cisgender. I was born transgender. It just took me a hell of a long time to figure it out. So it's not, like, yes, the parallel is there. They're, like, they are making this boy live a truth that is not his own, and that's bad. But, yeah, it wasn't like if... He was, you know, he went along with it. You can make somebody who was cis become trans. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it's just not that happened. I I was trans the day I was born and it just takes a while. So like, yeah, no, I I, I don't think it, like it shows the pain of like a, a child growing up in the wrong body, but because they explicitly say that like, Parker is a boy. They mention that he tried to castrate himself in the hospital, which I would assume it not explicitly said, I assume he was assigned male at birth and he felt like he was male. You know, he was Parker. He was a boy. And it was his mom who was like, no, you're actually a girl. And so that is the, like, that's the di- the difference.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, that that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I meant by that question. Like, yeah, obviously the language I used wasn't correct. I think like, no, it's it, 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 like it can be like, yeah, like I, I wanted to flip the question around, like like let's say yes. in this world, Parker is trans from birth and mm-hmm. mother was forcing Parker to be a boy, right? Let's say in this other universe.
0: Well, I mean, even if even if Parker had been born as Marilyn assigned female at birth yeah. and. Was like, hey, I want to be Parker, and mom was like, no, you're Marilyn, and we're you. Yeah, like, that's
2: the name, you know. But like, it's it's equally damaging either way to not acknowledge or or you know foster what gender your child chooses to identify as, right? Yes, that's that's, that's the question yes. I'm getting at. Yeah, right. Yes. Well, yes. Okay.
1: Uh,
0: listen to your kids. The moral of this story is <laughs> yeah. like, let's listen to what our kids are saying. They are. And believe
1: them. Well, yeah. it seems to me, it seems to me too, like the most important part of all of this from what happens to these characters actually didn't need to involve gender at all. Like that didn't need, it was like, Mm -hmm. the thing is that that element of the device was unnecessary to get the main point across, which is straight up child abuse, straight up. Parental trauma and parental abuse of a kid, right? Now, that I think that that's Mm -hmm. like obviously in the real world where many people are born trans and not treated that way by their parents growing up. That also spills out into the broader society. So there's a a way bigger sociological phenomenon uh, attached to real life. Mm -hmm. Whereas this movie is much more intimate, right? It's much more... This mom is seemingly psychotic at some level, and she's like channeling every single one of her prejudices and her desires into Parker. And as an aside, See, this is what's interesting is, like, I didn't think it needed to be, like, the deepest thing in human life, (laughs) right? Like, it it didn't (laughs) need to travel so far down the road to, like, gender identity and that kind of thing. Because, like, I've seen this phenomenon in playing hockey growing up where parents project their own insecurities and inadequacies of their own athletic Mm -hmm. histories onto their kids who, like, a kid scores two goals. Well, why didn't you score three goals, right? Oh, why didn't you get, why didn't you do this, right? Like, they're just, there's, like, a projection. And this is, so, like, this is a pretty common and tragic human phenomenon. There's a projection from the parent onto the child of inadequacy, often because that child represents something that parent didn't want at some level, which usually goes back psychologically Mm -hmm. to something damaging in that parent. And then we're getting into something like a broader definition of intergenerational trauma and that kind of stuff where trauma can be passed down from like a generation to generation, generation. So because I think that trauma was the most important storytelling device and real life device, I didn't think it needed to be on such a charged and complicated issue as gender. It could have been something else.
2: And then if they did yeah. choose to do it on this topic, they need to do it right, right? Like, they need to do justice to it and do it correctly. Well, because and that's I'm the sure thing. There, there can be a story that involves gender and trauma, and it can tell the story right and correctly from, like, you know, from an actual trans person's point of view, right? Whereas this one, mm. it's, it's, it's like you said, where, you know, a lot of the early gay characters were probably written by straight people. And so I think, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good story worth telling, but it was told not right in this not story.
0: And, and like, just to, just to sort of, I guess, one final thing, you know, Columbo style, just one more thing. The, the fact that it didn't really make sense though, why was his mother making him kill these people? Like that is not, that was, maybe I missed it, but that didn't feel like it was satisfactorily explained it was like Parker was raised as a as a girl by his mom and he didn't like that and now he's a serial murderer and dresses like a bride it's like what like that that was like a little wrinkle where it could have been just like there's some hold that mom has over this kid who just becomes a serial killer through like mental health issues and yeah. it's like they were like i don't know let's make it even more
2: twisted, i think a little i think more in twisted. the context of the story is that mom's spirit is the actual malevolent thing. Like, like Luke, you were saying earlier how Michelle is the actual villain and not actually Parker. Because, like, you see that the way that they defeat Parker is by Elise, like, I don't know, essentially curb-stomping <laughs> Michelle with a uh, rocking chair or a rocking yeah. horse. You know, shout out to the... <laughs> curved, uh, cur- wood. Curved, curved wood! Curved wood! <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but, now you I know, have to leave that all in. <laughs> but when she, when she like... I don't know. Kills Michelle's spirit in the 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 further. That is what yeah. stops Josh from hammering, aka
1: Parker. putting the hammer
2: down on uh, on Parker, right? No, or, no, or Parker Parker Dalton. as Josh putting the hammer down on uh, Dalton. 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 What is this fucking kid's name? Dalton. <laughs> Dalton.
1: So many yeah.
0: names.
2: Yeah. So I think we're doing think
0: so good it, with names this episode, y'all.
2: Yeah. So I think. In in this movie, it was actually the spirit of Michelle that's controlling Parker, and it's not, okay. it's not Parker because Lorraine talks to kid Parker, and it's like, I need your help. So it's like, at the end of the day, maybe Parker's not actually the villain. It's really Michelle, who's using Parker,
1: who's okay. using
2: Josh to do these things. So, okay, so this is maybe projecting, you'll
0: forgive me, astral projecting maybe, <laughs> but... Is there some evidence in this movie? Luke, maybe you can answer this because you have seen it a couple of times, where Michelle died and then took over Parker and made him do the like murders. Is that something that was in there? Or
1: No, I don't remember no? that. Okay. I think when we're getting to this level of figuring out what happened, I think it's interpretive. Yeah, you know, a little bit. I right. like I like Alex's take of that because Elise rocking chair or rocking horse stomps her that's what stops Parker I think we're also supposed to just like we're supposed to think and this is another contentious issue but who knows like I think we'd have to maybe talk to psychologists more about this but Parker got so fucked up by the trauma imposed on him as a child by his mom that it kind of deranged him and that that derangement and abuse and not being able to live the life and the way he wanted to all contributed to kind of his insanity that he then becomes a serial killer. And that, like, that could be a point against the movie too in reality. I don't know, but I think (laughs) like that to me is the most logical explanation for why he became a serial killer is that he got so abused. Now Again, like I just think it it didn't need to go as far as it did to still make the same point. And then it brings in this whole host of other questions about it because it went as far as it did. Now, because of course, like, yeah. I don't think it's controversial in real life to say people who are abused as children have trauma in their life that can manifest in negative ways when they're older. That doesn't necessarily make mm-hmm. them serial killers. Maybe it makes them serial killers to make a better horror movie. Maybe that's a bitter pill we swallow yeah. for this film. But... I think that yeah you're right like the serial killer element wouldn't be as contentious if there wasn't the gender nonconformity element to all of this I don't think because Yeah yeah I think it was unnecessary to like add that in there. People can get messed up in all sorts of ways and they can or can't become a serial killer. And I, and and that's why I actually really like like to to maybe to segue to something that I think is really positive that can come out of this kind of movie with this kind of motif, which I'm focusing more on the parental abuse to trauma aspect than the gender aspect, which is okay. In the two things, two, two very specific scenes in the further, Elise taking young Parker and saying, it's okay. She doesn't control you. Like just that, a mm-hmm. kind adult to a child, reminding them that what they're actually feeling and thinking is okay, not what the abusive adults in their life are telling them to do. And then additionally, just the way Renee takes care of her kids in this movie was so uplifting to me. Like protecting her sons, hiding Foster when Parker, aka Josh, is banging on the door, like doing whatever it takes to keep those boys safe because she's loves Mm -hmm. them and so like the antidote i I think again the the strength of the villainy of this movie is i think parental abuse as a motif and they could have done that in a way better way than they did but the antidote is also in this movie which is the love of elise for and the care of Elise for Parker and then the way Renee loves and cares about her kids and then when Josh actually does too right like Josh is actually care like there's actually so much care in this movie from our heroes or mm. our or our good the good people that I think yeah I don't want it to get lost in the shuffle of the unnecessary elements of this movie that are easy yes. easy to distract <laughs> because they're quite deep
0: I would I would like honestly love nothing more than to not talk about it because Yeah, yeah, no you I, know But you is, have to. It it is it is yeah, it have to and it like takes so much time and it's so exhausting a lot of the times. And you know, thank you everyone out there and I'm <laughs> including the people who are on my Discord call for being great allies, because it can get real tiring to be like an educator all the time. But yeah, I let's talk about the heroes of this movie, specifically Elise, who I think was the most excited dead person I've ever seen in a movie. Like she's like, you know, she dies. It's very sad. R.I.P. at least. I guess she's not resting, because she's like, she's like, well, I almost got to the better place, and then I heard you calling me Josh, and she came back and she's just like she's just like into the further so hard, hey? Like she's just like, This is cool. Oh, that's why that door opened. Oh, that explains that. She's just like, she seems like she's having a blast, honestly. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> Yeah, this is what she wanted all along. <laughs>
2: Yeah, do we want to talk about like the the way it connected to the first movie and like the the time travel element of it? You know, yes,
1: which
0: was Insidious a Chapter Two
2: did it before Endgame. So props to you, Insidious. I see you better <laughs> <Yeah>. than MCU.
0: <laughs> I thought it was really cool, and the fact that the there's a setup early on, and this isn't necessarily time travel-y, but Renee keeps hearing the piano get played and we are meant to think like oh this is another ghost because there's so many ghosts this house is, and these people are all just there's a million ghosts all over the place and the fact that it's josh trying to connect to her through the further and through the the piano i thought that was a cool twist that i actually didn't see coming and as soon as you know you get this the the scene where patrick wilson is talking to her and he's like what's that song i've never heard it before and she's like that's the song I wrote for you. And so like, then you kind of like, that's your clue to be like, oh, it's like real Josh in the further he's stuck. He's trying to communicate. I thought that was cool. And then of course, all the time
2: fuckery was, was also pretty cool. I really liked how they replayed footage from the first movie mm-hmm. and intertwined it with this mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. So in the first movie, when the hauntings first start happening and there's like knocking on the door and and the door opens and the alarm goes off we find out in this one that it's actually future astral projected josh that's doing these <laughs> things and traveling into the past to figure out figuring out what happens and he's the the one thing that kind of took me out of it is when you know elise shows up and like goes to hell long-haired pale demon oh and yeah, yeah pale yeah. De- demon like gets pushed out the window so in the real world i don't think the window broke in that scene no, right? i don't think it which did. is inconsistent to everything else right in every in everything else the knocking was heard the door opening was the door actually opening but there was no window breaking and and <laughs> the astral projected window breaking did not happen in the real world which was the one inconsistency That's true. but yeah i think that the way that they kind of tied in that whole time travel thing because like a lot of the time time travel in film is messy and there's so many things you can pick apart and be like well this didn't work or this is stupid or this is inconsistent but i think actually looping it with the footage from the first film made me feel like oh this this is a thing that happened and i believe that it happened Mm -hmm. yeah so like at at the very start when or near the start when they're like we I found the VHS in 1986 when Elise was talking to Kid Josh, and then I, I digitized mm-hmm. it and enhanced it, and who's in the background? Oh, it's adult Josh. I'm like, oh, this is so fucking stupid. What the fuck? And then when they showed <laughs> later on that, like, you know, he w- the reason he, he's able to time travel is because the astral world or the, the further doesn't have a concept of time, I guess. It's like... Na- it,
1: travel- it reminded me of Narnia time. Yeah. You know? It's just... <laughs> well, I... I, I-
0: i i think like time travel is yeah yes there's like time elements but i don't think if you're in the further i don't think there is like a traveling to the past the present and the future i think it all just exists
1: it's memories right mm-hmm.
0: yeah point yeah and so yeah you're going into a memory which yeah if we pick it apart anymore though then we're like well then
2: ha- no i think it, i think it has memories because when they find parker as a kid they're like hey help us find your memory or your mother's memory of where she is
0: right right so i think right, right. i
2: think in the in the in the further it's all memory and you could be like i want to go to my house in 86 no i want to go to my house on this date in 86 no i want to go to my house in 2047 right. you know so it just like yeah it yeah. it worked it worked yeah. yeah the vhs was stupid and then when they showed the 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 house footage with the first one i was like okay i'll buy the the vhs enhancement
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm yeah i liked i loved that it was so cool and because that scene in insidious one stuck out to me as being like there was you know it's shot really weird it feels like there should be somebody else in the the frame and it like pays it's it's either that they planned it out to make a sequel and have that be like to pay off later or they got supremely lucky and they were just like perfect this, like, unexplained haunting, we can now explain it. What a lucky break for us. Hooray, writer's room. We did it. <laughs> so, like, I, I feel like if we're going with Occam's Razor here, the simplest explanation is they're like, if if this movie doesn't do well, and Insidious One is the only movie we make, then it works fine on its own. Yes, there's just a random haunting thing. The door's open. The alarm's going off. It's all scary. Ah. But if it does well, and if people want a sequel then we have this little like plot hook ready to go for Mm -hmm. episode two or chapter two. I'm doing a lot of hand gestures right now. It's
1: perfect for (laughs) podcasting. (laughs) I heard that. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I thought, I thought that the, the, the kind of expansion, I guess of the powers or of the reach of the further was really cool. Because when you buy into the further in the first place, like what can't it do? (laughs) Where can't you go? (laughs) <laughs> kind of thing and i think it was like there was some this was a great sequel because it was so reminiscent of all of the best parts and tied into all of the best parts of the first movie where in the first yes. in the first movie it's in the further that young josh helps old josh it's young josh who points him the way in the second movie it's reality josh pointing old josh into <laughs> the right way to go yeah. you know what i mean like young reality josh is young further josh in this movie. yeah <laughs> and and again josh is a flat circle yeah and again it's like Dal- josh is a flat circle dalton goes into the further to help his dad in the same way josh goes into mm-hmm. the further to help dalton in the first movie so there's like some really nice um kind of like yin and yang symbiosis of really good, really good polishing the other side of the coin from the first movie in this one,
0: yeah, e- even even to the line of there's a similar line where I can't remember the character. I think the the character is talking to Renee though, where it's like, no, the house isn't haunted it's josh and it's like a very similar line to like the house isn't haunted it's your son from the first movie and then like even in the opening credits they had they had everything which i thought was just like oh this is a neat callback to the first movie but it pays off because they had scenes where it's like there's a shot of the baby monitor and there's a shot of like the old room there's even a similar shot of the like the little glass globe over the light or the overhead Mm -hmm. light like it was just very much like hey kids this was from the first movie (laughs) and just remember
2: you know it was kind of like a previously on (laughs) oh and there happens to be another fucking grandfather clock in this house too (laughs) oh my goodness
1: well hey like This movie came out the same year as The Conjuring, and Elise's reading room is so much reminiscent of Ed and Lorraine Warren's, like, memorabilia room, right? Like, all of Elise's shit is in this room. They do a seance. They've got weird sounds going on. All that kind of stuff. It was so great.
0: I have to say, Elise... You're a freaky motherfucker. You've just got, like, a chair with a full-body mannequin that looks like it's been burned to death, and then you've got the nightmare gas mask on it? What are you doing?
1: What are you doing? (laughs) Like, that was just like... And and then she's got a side room full of VHS tapes. Like, that's scary. Grow with the times, Elise. Yeah, come on, Elise. Digitize it.
0: I did write a note that they should have called Ed and Lorraine Warren because I thought that would have been funny to do, like, a... (laughs) Like a split screen of, of Ed talking yeah, to Yeah, and Josh. then you have,
2: what is it, the Spider-Man meme of them pointing at each other?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, like, you can definitely tell that these movies are made by the same person. You know, like, there's just so much in the sound and the style. for are like, wow. This is all, mm-hmm. I, I, I really feel like, we're going to get some revelation where The Conjuring... Everything in The Conjuring is in the same universe as Insidious. The Insidious is... And then somehow also in the same universe as Saw. So we're going to have Jigsaw... Sh- <laughs> we're going to have Jigsaw show up in The Conjuring 7 as the villain. <laughs> well, you know,
0: they did have another, like, old man in a hospital bed who turned out to be, like, a, a killer <laughs> at the end. And, like, you know, even you can, you can say... Like, Michelle, just like Saw, well, technically Michelle didn't kill anyone. She <laughs> right. made Parker do it. Right. Like-
1: <laughs> well, no, like, see, I think, again, this is far from a perfect film, but one of the things that, like, you can really tell Lee Winnell is a horror lover, like a lover of the horror genre, because Insidious, mm-hmm. the whole Insidious franchise, it does great callbacks to other films, but also, like, even just that, 80s look of josh's bedroom with the like neon lit fish tank and the the light and just the the decor it's like oh my gosh this reminds me of poltergeist this reminds me of paranormal activity three mm-hmm. like there's just That's so true. much of and then of course because they've got like three major franchises they can like reference their own franchises <laughs> with their own thing so i think that and and obviously i've read some interviews with lee when like he's just like his movies are part love letter to the genre on his part mm-hmm. i think yeah i
0: think he loves he, he definitely yeah i think it's true everything you said is is true there Luke he he loves it i i noticed a little nod i didn't notice a little saw nod like i didn't see a spiral anywhere like in insidious one where it's or the jigsaw face is just drawn on the chalkboard i did notice though that in foster's side of the bedroom there is like i thought it was a british flag but it turned out to be like a folded up australian flag Mm -hmm. because there was like one of the the seven-pointed star on it and i was just like and that made me think like leewanell is australian he can't do an american (laughs) accent please just let him be australian in movies because there was like some times especially with him and tucker where it just comes through so hard you know they're like choosing who goes down into the nightmare basement in elisa's house and they're like we'll do uh you know ninja bear hunter and he's like well yeah it was yeah it was hunter ninja bear and he goes like he's like we'll do hunter ninja bear and i'm just like (laughs) wow like that just like fully like broke through and apologies for my bad accent work everybody but like i was just like just let him be australian just let him... Like, what are you doing? Leo and Al, uh, thank you for trying.
1: But we, just be Australian. <laughs> do we think Specs will ever win a fight? And yet he always engages him? <laughs> <laughs> no, never.
0: <laughs> and correct
1: me if I'm wrong. What do
0: you think about them in this movie? Oh, well, sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah, I want to talk about... But isn't Foster's, like, the main beer in Australia?
0: It is a type of beer in or Australia. One of the beer? But yeah. if, you, if you go to Australia, it is the... According to the Australians that I know and met, mm. it is the beer that foreigners think Australians drink yeah. because it was, like, of advertising. But, yeah, I guess, like, another hint, like, Foster, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Australian uh, for beer.
1: Okay, so Specs, Specs, and Tucker.
0: Yeah. What do we think of them?
2: They're so stupid, but, like, they're just, like, endearing to me. Like, they're dumb in the first movie. They're dumb in the second movie. And it worked for me right i i do like this so on the wikipedia article so it says it was also confirmed that the film screenwriter lee winnell and actor angus sampson would reprise their role as Specs and tucker respectively when asked about the return of the two characters winnell explained there was this hatred that spewed out from fans saying i hated those guys they sucked they ruined the movie (laughs) so there will probably be a lot of people out there who will be disappointed to hear that Specs and tucker's character will will be coming back so i think it's like a very (laughs) self-aware thing (laughs) out of out of like lee winnell it's like like, I liked being part of it. It was fun. It was stupid. Obviously, like, these characters are polarizing. Like, it either worked for people or they just hated it. So we're going to do it again.
1: I see them as the R2 and C-3PO of this film. <laughs> like, early on, they're there for comedy and plot forwarding. And then eventually, they just become fan favorites. So they're in it all the time, gratuitously, whether they're needed or not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i think they were there just for just for the jokes i think some of them some of the jokes were like good and well placed some of them you know it was a little bit too gratuitous like especially the very last scene when everything's all resolved and tucker like
2: bursts through the wall and is
0: like ah let's go <laughs> i was just like
2: okay how, how about the one where murderous <laughs> possessed josh like parker possessed josh is like hunting down his kids and renee and you you pan over and Tucker's snoring on the ground. Yeah, because he trained yeah. himself. <laughs> like that, that that one was like a little bit unnecessary. But yeah. but like, okay, I get it. They're they're comic relief.
1: But the other side of the plot of this film, where we have the detective work of discovering like the background of this story, is impossible unless we, for some reason, get that videotape from. Mm-hmm elise's basement so they're the only characters at that point in the film i guess other than carl but he was out of touch like they were the it made sense that they were there to go into elise's house because they worked with her like there weren't really any other characters who would even know where elise lived and finding that videotape yeah was the thing that made them contact carl so like at least at the beginning there were they were plot necessities as well yeah, oh, R2 and 3 Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: And they there was also, I think they really wanted to have more settings. They wanted to have more house settings in this movie and, and, and not just horror in the house because they're just like, well, we're going to go to the very spooky abandoned hospital. And like, obviously Renee and Josh can't go there, but... They're going to go to the, like, Nightmare Hospital. Alex, you
2: have a question. I want to hear it. (laughs) It's not a question. This was fucking stupid. So, in the abandoned hospital, there happened to be a records room that still had records. You don't fucking do that. What the fuck? What kind of a hospital is this? Hey, we're going to not use this hospital anymore? Oh, all this confidential patient information? We're just going to leave it here. No. Are you kidding me? That's a FOIP nightmare. Oh, man. Whew. That it was me it so was such
0: much. like, it just I don't know where they're. It, maybe this is different in the states because we don't live. There no, they, they have like Canadian, HIPAA but, or whatever, right? But but maybe yeah, maybe this was a day where they're like, well, I guess bah, the hospital's out of money. Okay, everybody, go home, lock door, and just like leave it. Like it's
1: just like what? <laughs> and and the thing is, but that's such a trope, though. <laughs> even by 2013, all of those, all of those files are digitized. Those are on computers now. Those aren't just in physical folders. Well, no, you still have when, you can when did, physical folders. When did the hospital get get
0: abandoned? That's the question. Because like, right, Lorraine true. worked there when she was younger. But just like the fact that they needed like a spooky haunted hospital and they were just like, How can we make this the most nightmarish thing possible? And they're like, I know, we'll just have a table full of like scalpels and a you know, a wheelchair just in a poorly lit hallway and slime and grime and rust everywhere and it was just like okay this is scary but did we did we need to have it like
2: okay i don't know so it, it this ho- this hospital setting would have worked if in this world there was like a nuclear apocalypse right exactly it doesn't work in a world where humans still live in it and maintain it and they just left the hospital it's just like i can't can't see this like why is there just a a, a abandoned hospital that's still full of medical stuff no they would have turned it into condos they would have turned it into like hipster
0: apartments and people could be like yeah we this used to be an insane asylum isn't it spooky
1: (laughs) maybe maybe the ghosts still haunt it and so everyone wanted to get the fuck out and not come back
0: yeah maybe there we go (laughs) but it's not actually the grossest set piece because there's also a nightmare house (laughs) that they have as a second set piece where they only got the address from because they were able to go to the haunted hospital go to the haunted file room find the haunted file read the haunted address and then go to the other house which is just like the whole setup of this house being like one million percent cobwebs and then like dolls and baby carriages and like rocking horses i was just like oh i hate it in here i don't want to be in here at all let's go like it was it was cheesy but it was like oh yeah this is this is a scary place
2: yeah okay so to clarify the whole time that carl was rolling his magic dice it was actually michelle manipulating the dice and talking to them to get them to the house where she could kill them i guess so i think elise was
0: talking to him in elise's house because like why would michelle be there there wasn't oh i guess was lorraine there
1: Mm-hmm.
0: in that scene yeah mm-hmm. where it's like carl and yeah okay so maybe that's okay maybe maybe it could have been michelle the whole time
2: yeah because like she's trying to drop the chandelier on them very disney villain by the way
0: oh yeah <laughs> <It's> just, <so laughs> just stupid. writing i was like it's like what's gonna happen in here murder and he's like i wonder what that it's mean. it that's latin could it for be? Murder?
1: well mm. to be fair would i be in danger the movie didn't present michelle as a particularly sophisticated character and so that's true so of all of the characters i could see her as being the most likely to be kind of like single focused monomaniacal and cartoonish
2: oh she was very yeah when i first saw michelle i was like oh i didn't know we were watching 101 dalmatians here
0: (laughs) she's very cruella hey i thought that carl died and that's why he like went to the further
2: isn't that what happened i think he was on the brink of death but because elise was like by the way you still got a heartbeat you can't stay you like like
0: oh right you can't stay here you gotta
2: get going and he's like resuscitated i don't know that's, was that's that a minor scene detail in there I because over
0: i will be like very honest the last like 10 minutes of this film the last like fight and the last stuff i was like furiously scrolling through my phone being mad about the like twist behind parker mm. and the bright and black so i kind of missed a lot of that part so <laughs> was there a scene where because i thought he goes down he meets elise he's like oh here i am and you know, they're like, well, yeah, that happens to everybody. So I'm like, okay, so Carl's dead. And then I like stop paying attention for a little bit. And then at the end, he's like, all right, let's all do hypnotism, everyone. Here we go.
2: No, they're, they're, so, so when they see know. Elise for the first time, Elise says yeah. like to Josh, like, you don't belong here. I think she says it to Carl as well that he doesn't belong here. And oh, okay, th- that's their motivation to find a way out is to find Parker's memory and American history X Michelle.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> i was just distracted by his bad bad beard his bad fake beard it's like <laughs> so bad come on Cost-
2: who is come on.
1: <laughs> yeah
2: you want to talk about the
1: red motif luke uh sure i mean i i just think it's so cool like it so much of these movies is like darkness with a single light so that's part of it, but then just like the red was everywhere, like the red window in their new house and the red gate, the red door, yeah, the red door, the,
2: the lips, the lipstick, yep. on on Parker was yeah. like very vibrantly red. The very the opening, red. the opening insidious and the closing insidious screen was like bright red. Yeah,
1: and I mean obviously from the first movie, lipstick, face demon is red, and the red door and the red Dalton's red cape, just like all of that. Kind of, I don't know, just, like, so iconic to to this movie is all of those. Mm, I think Taylor Swift wrote a song about it. Did she, <laughs> did she write a song I called so. Red? Sure yeah. did. What's it about? It's a good song. It's about the color red. Oh. Yeah.
0: I really like that shot of the house with, like, with that red window. I just thought it looked very mm-hmm. evil. Like, it just looked evil. I was like, ooh, something's up with this house. Like, those establishing shots at nighttime
2: was just like, oh, yeah. Well, it's Red's your favorite color, listener, choose a different one.
1: Another horror genre throwback that I think this series does so well is like those long, lingering, kind of isolated shots of the single house on its own, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. very reminiscent to me of Amityville Horror, like that franchise, which like the most iconic shot of that is just the house from the outside. And like these like really old... Colonial Victorian-looking houses, on I guess we're supposed to assume is the East Coast somewhere <laughs> of the USA. Oh, yeah. Californian license plate. Oh, really? Yeah, may- well that there might have a been palm- a mistake. There was a palm
0: tree, actually.
2: May- yeah, maybe. So maybe, it-
0: <laughs> maybe it was maybe the Ohio, Ohio <laughs> from yeah. a Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Luke. <laughs> well, because we at, the same time.
1: at one point, like the dollhouse in Parker's bedroom tucker knows is a rhode island red (laughs) red. which i thought was a type of chicken (laughs) no i i think the kind of unspoken features of this movie are really good really really good
0: Mm. so without without spoiling i guess in sid 3s Luke does is it follow uh, Tucker and Specs and Ghost Elaine or Ghost Elise <laughs> as like a new ghost hunter Actually
1: like, no I'm
0: just here to help other people. <laughs>
1: I'm pretty sure Insidious 3 is a prequel. So I actually think mm, right. if if memory serves correct Insidious 3 is the story of when Elise first meets Specs and Tucker and the case that they work on together. And then okay. I'm pretty sure Insidious 4 is like Elise's origin story and that ghost. And so, again, I, I could be crossing my wires here a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if the end of Insidious 2 could be part of the story of Insidious 5 because I I heard a rumor mm-hmm. that Patrick Wilson – is reprising his role as Josh Lambert for Insidious Five and might even be directing it. So,
0: Patrick Wilson in, loves a horror movie.
1: In yeah.
2: Five dias yeah. or Insidious Five, Fast Five.
1: I like all of the Insidious movies. I think the first one is the best because it's the most novel, and then I think all three are very high quality derivatives of the first film. <laughs> Mm.
0: yeah what okay let's talk about our (laughs) scariest part
2: i'll go first my scariest part is when renee is trying to get into callie's room and there's like lots of just it's just noise on the inside and then you hear michelle like just like saying creepy things and then you hear a slap yeah and then it's it's like it's just like you as the audience you're like oh like this is scary ghost lady just slapped this baby that was my scariest part it's
0: <laughs> a good one that's a solid one
1: there was a jump scare kind of early in the movie but I can't remember exactly what it was but I think it involved Michelle Michelle's face near Renee maybe but I also found it super creepy or maybe by Lorraine's face I found it super creepy the like near the end of the movie when just before Elise kills Michelle we get like a kind of a longer camera take on michelle's face and it like looks like it's changing and getting scarier and creepier while she's killing josh i guess it is
0: yeah like her lipstick is like yeah, all over her teeth yeah it's and really just got yeah. like a wild yeah
1: i i found that shot super unnerving so i'm gonna pick that one
0: Fair. there was a lot of jump scares in this movie and we didn't talk about most of them there's a lot of good candidates for scariest part i think young Josh in the hospital when, you know, Parker Crane is like lying in the coma bed and Josh looks at the ICU monitor. Then he comes back and he's like sitting right up right behind him. That's pretty scary. But the one that was like the freakiest was actually the fight, like the physical knockdown fight between Renee and Josh in the kitchen, like right at the end when he's like trying to kill her. And she like hits him a bunch of times with that pot. And then he throws the kettle at her and just like takes her down. Like, that was like such an effective scene and it was so scary because it's like, Oh my God, this is like a horrible scene of violence between two people who are married and like possession or not. Like this is, this has got to like take some time to, to work through. And so I thought that was just like very, very tense and very scary because I was like, I felt bad for Renee. I was like, Oh my God, Renee, (laughs) he might kill you. This is horrifying. So all the like jump scares though, like, I'm expecting them now, so I'm like, I'll jump and I'll be like, ah, but it won't be the scariest part, I think. <laughs> yeah. Also, like the random naked guy that's just like screaming in Josh's face and pointing off to the side. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> in the further. <laughs> he was a goblin extra escaped from the set of The Hobbit.
2: Oh, yes. No, it had to it's been the just... Fellowship of the Ring. He was a
1: real person. Ah, true.
0: <laughs> yeah. We got to rate this one. Mm. We have to the covenant that we all signed in blood dictates we must so i'm going to go first i'm going to get my my rating well what are we rating it done. out of done
1: oh what are we rating it out of mm. i something we didn't talk about but it just was so funny cuz you can imagine it's like so annoying for parents of young children but just out of yep agreed. absurdly unnecessary unnecessarily loud kid walkers <laughs>
0: That thing was scary before it became haunted and moved across the room on its right? own. Right, I was just yeah. like, "No,
2: yes." Uh, Annoying musical. How do we overstimulate walkers. this baby? Throw a bunch of lights and sounds at it. You might yeah. as well just like put a per- police siren on this baby walker. Your baby not into
1: enough raves <laughs> lately? We'll fix that for you.
0: <laughs> it was so much overstimulation. There's, yeah, okay, overstimulating baby baby walkers. So. The parts of this movie that were like time travel-y and the setting and the camera shots and the fact that it was like the entire cast came back, which is like, I feel like is uncommon for horror movies. That is what's getting the bulk of my good grades. But unfortunately for me, like I couldn't separate the fact that the, the plot revolved around a ghost who was like traumatized in like a gender nonconforming way and really fucked him up it just soured the soured this movie's milk for me almost completely to the point of like not watching it so i have to give this one a 2.3 out of 5 2.3 just i couldn't do it couldn't get past it and i would not watch this movie again like i'm like as soon as it was done i was like i'm not watching that movie ever again oh my gosh
2: (laughs) this was a pretty good horror movie i was entertained It, it was a little bit slower than the first one but i was pretty entertained for most of it that like the time travel and like cutting it with footage from the first film was definitely my favorite part of it and i think it was whether on purpose or by accident it was written like really really well and made me feel like it was done on purpose which is cool i i like it when things feel like they're purposeful didn't like it as much as the first one but you know
1: that's That's most sequels (laughs)
2: that's most sequels exception being rush hour 2 of course of course but yeah i i was entertained and it was it was cool to continue to explore this universe and to dive deeper into these characters and lorraine and elise were explored a lot more in this movie which is cool i thought like they had Mm -hmm. much smaller parts in the first one and i guess in future films elise is explained even like explore it even more so i'm looking forward to even further you might say even in the further further yeah (laughs) so yeah overall decent time yeah three 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 police car baby walkers out of five
0: (laughs) (laughs) three out of five luke what are you giving this one
1: yeah i actually enjoyed this viewing of it more than any of the other ones because of how good i found how much more appreciative I think I am of a horror movie done well and technical Mm, and, and like technical elements of it being really impressive. And I'm, I'm a sucker for a good homage. And so knowing how much more intricately Lee Winnell and James Wan weave in their homages to previous horror movies and, and their own horror movies And their own kind of like Easter eggs, like these kind of these movies are full of Easter eggs for that kind of fan. So I think that all of that was done so well, as well as like the cinematography and the acting was great. The story was by far the weakest part of it. And not even like the super... Weirdly, the supernatural elements were the best part of this movie. (laughs) Usually they're like the weakest in these kind of movies, but I really thought the further worked well and the time travel or time dipping in and out a la Interstellar whenever you need Mm -hmm. to kind of thing. I think this movie unfortunately made a mess of its central potentially really interesting message, which is that of trauma and abuse by putting in an unnecessary layer of gender into this. There were probably a 100 other ways they could have made the same point and one way to make it poorly. So I feel like this was a really interesting idea presented really poorly and really offensively doesn't even seem like the right word. Like just like you, you went to bat for a huge thing and you sent in your worst hitter right like it was just like (laughs) that kind of feeling so tone deaf yeah so i'm gonna give it 3.75 out of five because i think other than that main story point this movie was quite well made and quite well executed and interesting yeah
0: would you both watch this one again
1: yeah i'd watch it again Uh, i was entertained i imagine i've watched the horror the insidious movies more than any other horror movies in my life and i imagine i'll watch them all again for when insidious 5 comes out just so i'm caught up
0: oh cool
1: love it all righty
0: well there we go we talked about this movie now let's cheer something let's do the cheer section i've got a really good cheer so i can go first if you want but uh, does anybody else want to go first
1: Mine is kind of minor, but kind of nice. I I can go first. We'll build up. We'll build up. Okay. I've been so happy to rediscover how neighborly this town is and how every single person I come across, whether I know them or not, it's like infallible that they'll nod their head and say hello or wave. It's just something so simple as that. Like two examples. Yesterday I was playing guitar on my front steps and there was like a kid. He looked like he was about 11 or 12 riding a bike on the other side of the street. And he looks over and he just waves to me as he's biking by. And like, I'd never, I didn't know who it was. And I just waved back. And then I was on a walk last evening and there was a lady on the street and we passed and she just, she, it wasn't even a wave. She's like, Oh, hello. And I was just like, wow and even the other night i was on a walk and some lady i was wearing my hoodie and somebody's like whoa are you daniel craig is james bond here in nelson i was like and and i've even had to and like i'm that way too because i grew up here but i've even had to like sorry what the fuck does that mean well i guess i looked like i was like a spy or something i don't know (laughs) oh okay but
0: like (laughs) listeners luke look exactly like daniel you you haven't seen a picture of him
1: (laughs) from from living in the city i've just kind of been accustomed and maybe even korea too like putting my head down and walking past and like you don't but like i'm getting reintroduced into this very tight like different kind of norm on the street when you see people cute which is always hey how's it going wave Hello, hey, or even a nod. You always, I don't know. It's just really nice. So I've been quite happy to nice. re- rediscover that feature of nelson life. So that's my cheer. That's great. I love movie.
2: that. You got a cheer, Alex? I do. Yeah. My cheer is a movie I watched this week with a couple of friends. So Ooh. we just we were bored, so we picked some movies. We did a back to backer. So the first one we Ooh, watched okay. is Stephen Chow's Shaolin Soccer, one of the greatest slapstick comedies of all time Mm -hmm. highly recommend it's just a bunch of shaolin trained kung fuers that decide to make a soccer team (laughs) and it's so funny and so stupid but (laughs) yeah it's good it's a good watch and then immediately after that we watched the korean romantic comedy which is probably one of the greatest romantic comedies ever made my sassy girl check (laughs) it out if you like romantic comedies it is so funny and so heartfelt and it's it's a good movie. Oh yay. Yeah, so that that's my cheer. Watching two good movies back to back.
0: That's awesome. That's really great. My cheer. I've had like a, a bit of a, a, a backlog of cheers because we you know took a week off recording, we didn't do a a so many cheer section for the bonus episode, but I watched a movie yesterday that like blew all of those out of the water. I was like, you can come back when I don't <laughs> have something else but last night i watched the movie on netflix called the mitchells versus the machines which is this like animated movie sort of family comedy very like friendly but it was i like i haven't laughed that long or that loudly or that many times in a movie in so long it's this sony animated feature uh, kind of it's, it's like Into the Spider-Verse had like a really cool and unique animation style and this one does it again where it's like 3D but it looks like it's hand drawn somehow and it's just a story of like this family and they're kind of dysfunctional but they get along and their eldest daughter is going off to college and the robot apocalypse happens and they are the only family that's somehow not taken by the robots and they have to save the world and it was so funny. I can't recommend it highly enough. I think everybody should watch this movie. There is a scene with a bunch of Roombas falling down an escalator that made me laugh for way longer than is necessary. But five out of five annoying baby toddler strollers for for Michels versus the machines for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. and so fun. It was a blast. That's it. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. So. Thank you so much for joining me, Luke and Alex. Thank you everybody for listening. Please go support our show by following us, giving us a subscribe a subscribe, a subscribe, a rating, a review wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on all of the internet things. Instagram is nothing to fear podcast. Twitter is ntf pod. You can follow me if you want to talk to me. I'm at Billy by Design. That's I before e when spelling Billy, and there are underscores between the words. And let us know how you like this movie or tell us if you have a favorite horror movie that we haven't covered and we'll put it on the list. It'd be be great to hear from some of the fans and it really helps us, you know, do well in the charts. If you want to support us, we do have some merch that is always linked in the show notes. Buy some cool t-shirts, buy some cool coasters and help support the little show, help us grow. And... Yeah. Thank you to Katie for the design. Thank you to Madison for our daytime and safety design. Thank you, Alex, for writing the music. Alex, can people find you anywhere if they want to talk to you?
2: Yeah. If you want to contact me, you can find me in a properly abandoned hospital where they actually get rid of records <laughs> and there is no record of me there. So that's where you can find me.
0: Also, Alternatively, you can roll a bunch of letter dice and if it
2: spells a word, That's an answer to a question you can ask Alex. There we go. Yeah. You have to be really good at, like, Scrabble if you're a dice reader, like Carl is, right? Right? And to to pick out the exact words, and then that one time Specs was like, Angles. What's in Angles? (laughs) Idiot.
0: (laughs) It's an abandoned hospital. Luke, where can people find you?
1: (laughs) On the internet, really true fiction, if you want to listen, and... I, I feel like it's a running joke now, so I'll just keep contributing. I have done two recordings thus far for Liberal Soul, so there have actually been Whoa. recordings happened for this now. So maybe by the, come true. Maybe by the time this episode comes out, we'll be that much closer <laughs> to <laughs> to Liberal Soul coming out. Yeah.
0: Getting closer. Always always growing, hey? Always growing. <laughs> but it's your turn, Luke, to pick the movie for next week. So tell us about it. What are we watching next week?
1: Well, I know that the three of us like to wallow in the pit of culture and jokes and the gutter, you know, and I, I put up with it because, you know, I have to. But truth be told, I am... <laughs> I am a highbrow. A I am a highbrow literary and artistic snob, so I think we're gonna go high art on this one. We're gonna we're gonna watch 1893's comedy. Uh, a film by Edward, Edward Munch, 1893's The Scream.
0: <laughs> Ooh. Can I do Scream?
1: AKA okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> seeing through that very veiled. <laughs> yes. We're gonna do the highbrow. <laughs> high art <laughs> 1996 film scream
2: oh the one with courtney cox
1: oh yeah oh, okay
2: that's right nice <laughs> i have never seen it scream. in its entirety surprise surprise i have seen it once i have
0: seen
1: it once <laughs> i scream you scream we all scream you know, for we've that movie we slash i have talked about it so much on this podcast It's like we we just got it's you we just it's you yeah it's me we got to do it <laughs>
0: It had to be your pick. Yeah, it had to be one of your picks. Alrighty, well, folks, thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week when we talk about a movie with some loud shouting. <laughs> and remember,
2: they're just movies. There's nothing to fear. They never resolved the investigation of Elise's murder, hey? They are just like, <laughs> hey, it's actually not Josh's fingerprints, but that doesn't rule him out. Well, yeah, if (laughs) you're still the prime murder suspect, by the way,
1: Josh, (laughs) it's true. Well, this is set up perfectly for the horror procedural overlap episode, hybrid episode, where it's actually like Parker Crane who murdered Elise. And so they get they get these (laughs) fingerprints of this serial killer from the 80s on the throat of someone who died in 2010. How did this happen? And that's where Ed and Lorraine come in. That's where Ed and Lorraine. Oh my gosh!
2: Mm. <laughs> That's how we do it. <laughs> ICU brings in with the CCU. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> the I C C C U. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, let's do it. I'm here for it. I, Coming you 2025. You We're might say first. You might
1: say I see you, but I'll say I saw you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, we gotta get saw in here. <laughs>
1: The I saw you,
0: all of Saw's victims are ghosts, and they're just like, We hate, we hate Jigsaw, get him. And Patrick Wilson's like, Not now, I'm dealing with my own stuff.
2: Parker's actually brothers with Jigsaw.
1: This is so funny, yeah. Oh, there it is, Mm. yeah. They had a similar look, all right. They did, they're both old,
0: they're both old.